Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, intriguing viewing trends are still hurtling along the pandemic highway and spinning off surprising challenges and opportunities for advertisers and brands. Take the raging but still nascent push towards environmental and social governance and the stampede for companies to land their net zero emissions and decarbonisation strategies while at the same time taking their customers and prospects with them on the journey. Execs from the BBC, Discovery and the broader Foxtel media platform are seeing rising consumer viewing trends around nature, the environment and the outdoors more broadly go largely untapped by brands wanting to position themselves credibly uh, for this coming mega trend. They're curiously absent, you could say, although it's a different story across other content genres as COVID continues to reshape audience viewing patterns. So with us today for a fast update on Australian and international viewing trends and where the hotspots are is a posse of linear and streaming TV execs who see the viewing data and signals before most of us. Joining Rebecca Kent, Discovery's Senior Vice President of Transformation, which, if you missed, is set to complete a $43 billion merger of Warner Media next year, including HBO, is BBC Studios Director of Branded Services, Tim Christleib, and Dan Sirhan, Foxtel Media Entertainment Sales and Partnerships Director. Welcome to you all. I think this is going to be an interesting one. We don't talk about content enough, I don't think, in our business. Uh, Dan, to you first, what are some of the standout viewing trends you're, you're seeing across Foxtel Media's portfolio? There's a few things in the market I think that might be might surprise the market. One of them being how factual content did surprisingly well against the Olympics juggernaut. Um, tell us, uh, give us a give us a sense of what's happening there, Dan, and beyond, and, and let this data rip. Let's see what the signals are telling us. Welcome. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, we're seeing two major trends really eventuate. Um, the first one being escapism. When we talk about escapism, what we're seeing is that people are really gravitating towards content where it allows them to escape. Um, you mentioned the Olympics and we've got a huge suite of factual content which performs powerfully and has been tracking really solidly. But uh, there's one format in particular which was Gold Rush. It's season three. It's Dave Turin's Lost Mine. I, would, I mean, who wouldn't want to escape into a mine, right? Slightly counterintuitive, do you think, Dan? Slightly counterintuitive, that one, escaping into a mine, I think. I, mean, I think we're all in mines at the moment, but hey, yes, good call. something different, right? So that premiered on the on the 12th of August, which was a Thursday night, with really strong overnight results for the Discovery Channel. It was our number one non-sport news program in its time slot, which is a really strong performer. What we're also seeing when it comes to escapism is, and this is where I'd escape to, is formats such as Below Deck. I mean, who wouldn't want to escape to the Mediterranean, right? We've all missed our European holidays. I should be there at the moment, but this is year three of that not happening. Commiserations to you, Dan. I'm I'm glad you feel sorry for me, Paul. (laughs) I I really am. We've seen uh, Below Deck this season being its highest performing season to date. It's currently on air. The first six episodes are up 38% on previous series, first first six episodes, and it's ranked the number three reality show across the arena channel group for the year. Again, when it comes to escapism, you know, what's old is new and who wouldn't want to immerse themselves into a coffee shop shop 
with that group of mates that we've all been longing to see. The Friends special, which was a juggernaut for us, performed especially well. It was number one when it comes to specials across Foxtel's history. And it had the largest audience of any episode since Game of Thrones. And the interest in that special also delivered new and old audiences wanting to binge those previous episodes as well. So that bingeability is something that we're also seeing as a trend. We saw VOD consumption up 103% for the series. And um, I think it's really testament to everybody wanting to escape and content being the vehicle to allow that. The other trend that we're really seeing is the love affair with home. Uh, Australians have this love affair with home and it's stronger than ever before. Public venues are closed or restricted. Home has evolved into a cocoon. We're not feeling caged in our homes. Our home is now our sanctuary, our workspace, our cafe, our gym, our daycare centre, our school, our movie theatre. And we know that, and this is from a, a study that we commissioned, one in two Australians are saying that they're spending more time at home than ever before. And this was a study that was commissioned pre-COVID. Right. And every nook in that home needs to be functional because we're spending so much time there. And currently, do-it-yourself is the only way that we can really do that. So we're seeing a lot of people gravitate towards the lifestyle, lifestyle portfolio. Lifestyles remain a programming focus for us and we're also seeing a much wider audience profile for that content. Younger millennials are looking to draw on this content as they look to invest in skills to, to renovate the small places that they're living in so that they can either sell or upsize with their mates. They're wanting ideas for cooking and they're wanting general comfort content. We've got an insatiable appetite for homegrown content and our local content resonates globally. I think you touched on this earlier, Paul. 60% of our top 20 shows across the streaming platform are local shows. It's just out of interest, Dan. Is that moving around a bit, that local Australian content? Is it rising, declining or staying about the same? It's rising in terms of the breadth of the audience that it's attracting. So we've right. seen stable audiences. We've seen audience growth in certain areas. But what's happened, and to give you an example, is... When sport went into hiatus last year, we opened up all tiers, we opened up all categories for, for viewing across the platform and we saw uh, content being consumed that hadn't necessarily been consumed before. And what we've right. seen off the back of that is stabilisation, stabilisation with growth. And there's more to come in that space. We're constantly evolving what the local content portfolio looks like. And, and we're listening to what the trends tell us. We know that millennials are spending more time at home or looking to move out of home with their friends. So we're starting to produce spin-off series. Selling Houses Australia is a very credible and known format for us. And we've just commissioned, it's in production at the moment, Selling in the City, which really talks to those younger audiences, to those smaller spaces that may need a facelift and not a full renovation. So there's an interesting, um, I think you talked about it, referenced it earlier, uh, Dan, or someone did, where there's a study done by Hulu that talked about through COVID that there's just, there's this big demand for um, perhaps back catalogue series, but things that have got big, long, lots of episodes, lots of series. What's going on there? Is that, are you seeing that? Well, you stole my thunder. I was going to use that for the next question, but oh, yes, sorry. absolutely. <laughs> Hulu commissioned a study last year. And in essence, what the study told us is that people are really wanting to consume content or formats that have um, longevity. 
that have greater episodes or that are longer series. They're wanting content that will keep them entertained for longer periods of time. There's a whole bunch of trends and developments there, Dan, and I guess the big thing for MI3's audience is what are some of the standout results or initiatives that brands have been doing to capture some of that viewer interest through COVID and as we sort of, well, the next phase of COVID and whatever happens next, what have they been doing that you've, you've got visibility on? Yeah, absolutely. Brands are getting smarter in terms of how they target audiences. And when I talk about that, what I mean is when we've got international content, for example, The Undoing or The Mayor of East Town, formats that perform really, really well for us, it's not as easy to integrate into these shows. So brands are being really smart. And what we're doing is talking to the market about ensuring that they're encapsulating that content and advertising around that content because we see a halo effect in shows that live and breathe around it both across linear and across um, VOD as well. So it's really important for brands to be across content in multiple different ways. We've also seen the Friends Reunion, which I touched on earlier. Um, Again, you couldn't buy into it, but brands bought around it. So that's a really interesting way to target that audience whilst not necessarily being within the format. And we also know that formats that had a longer cycle, such as Keeping Up With The Kardashians, we knew that that was coming up to its final curtain and we could see from what was happening on VOD that it was being consumed. Past series were being consumed. So we created a pop-up channel. We curated all of those past series to run succinctly, sequentially on one channel in the lead up to that final series, that final curtain. We did it with Below Deck as well, and we've seen both of those pop-up channels being sponsored by brands. So brands are getting savvier in terms of how to talk to those audiences, and it's not necessarily about just these new shows. There's an appetite for what's old and it's becoming new again. Yeah, back catalogue is big, right? And so did those those pop-up channels, that's what that's about. They, you, you're basically repurposing content that's been around for perhaps 300 years. That's right. We're not out at the pub anymore. We don't have barbecues. You know, all we talk about on Zoom calls is what are you watching? So if someone tells you that they're binging on the Kardashians and you know that that final series is about to air or below deck or whichever format it might be, you want to be able to be a part of that conversation with them. So we're making it really easy for our subscribers and our audiences, but also for brands to be a part of that conversation. So Rebecca Kent, apart from the no small task of ingesting what is a giant Warner Media merger with Discovery, um, I'm sure that's on your radar big time, but what are you seeing in global viewing trends that are likely signposts for Australia or, or are we already there? Is it the same or different? And welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, We're seeing very similar trends actually globally to what Dan has talked about. Definitely one of the first trends we're seeing globally is that notion of home as a cocoon and people looking at their houses and going, what can I do around my house? What can I do around my home? And because of that, we've seen viewing of things like cooking and and food shows increasing um, globally and locally. Our Discovery International Research team commissioned some consumer research across 13 markets, including Australia and New Zealand, as well as others internationally. 
And what they found is 56% of people had been watching more food and cooking television during the COVID-19 lockdown. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it, really? It does. What I like, though, is the next stat they found, which is 70% of people said they will continue that Mm. post-lockdown. And so that's a really positive trend and links to what Dan was saying about, you know, people continuing some of the viewing trends after kind of lockdown is over. Not that it's over for many of us in Australia at the moment, but uh, certainly in some other markets, it's starting to ease up. And that's not changing. So that's whole Holding up that consumption of those sorts of genres and those those cooking shows and, and home stuff that's holding in markets where you're seeing COVID restrictions open up a bit. Yeah, absolutely. There's a slight decrease, but it's still more than pre-pandemic. Right. Uh, another trend we're seeing is, again, similar to what Dan said about new audiences finding older content. And there's two kind of things happening at play here. The first is completely new audiences finding something that they they missed the first time around. And the pandemic has has helped them find that because they have more time at home. But also it was just a factor of our industry at the time. I mean, when the pandemic really kicked off last year, the bottom fell out of the advertising market. At the same time, for television companies like Discovery, like BBC, like Foxtel, there was this uncertainty around content supply as productions had to be halted or reduced. And so faced with those kind of industry dynamics, uh, companies like ours, we pushed out hundreds of hours of premiere content that we had planned to air in Australia to later in the year or the following year. So with that gap, we brought back a whole lot of older series and titles uh, that had aired, you know, uh, sometimes many years ago, sometimes not that long ago. And we packaged it up. We created these thematic months that were perfect for binge viewing because that's what people were doing. And this also links to that Hulu study you were talking about of people wanting long running series they can binge. And so by packaging up content in that way, it enabled those people who were new to it to start from the beginning and to get in touch with it again. And for those that were already fans and familiar with it, it took them to this nice, familiar, safe place where they could find something really fun and easy to watch. And so doing that really helped um, drive audiences And we've seen, again, post kind of um, the first lockdown last year, that those audience trends held. So where we did create those thematic uh, stunts around our content, the new series then had increased ratings when those lockdowns ended. So you've since launched then some new content that replaces the, the repurposed stuff and you're up. Yes, absolutely. So as an example, Discovery Channel, Turbo, TLC and Animal Planet are having their best ratings years this year so far in 2021. So right. And our kind of flagship local production, Aussie Gold Hunters, um, the ratings continue to climb season on season with the latest season, season six, being the highest rating season yet. Do we know who's behind that that viewing surge? What sort of audience we're talking about there for, say, the Gold Hunters and so forth? Is it who's it bringing in, and the, and some of the other series too, Rebecca, perhaps? Yeah, interestingly, what um, the pandemic and lockdown and packaging our content in a different way has enabled us to do is broaden our audience often. So for something like Aussie Gold Hunters, our kind of typical target audience is your male 2554. And they continue to be our our kind of main audience. But that doesn't mean that women don't also watch it. And we've been able to bring in more women to the program. It doesn't mean that younger 
people don't watch it as well. So depending what the genre is, we've been able to kind of expand the audience, take true crime as well. We have a true crime channel called Investigation Discovery. It's typically a, a female channel. Typically females enjoy true crime more than males, but not exclusively. And so by, by uh, promoting true crime on some of our male channels, we've actually been able to bring in more of a male audience who are around and who are looking for something to watch in this kind of lockdown world. Yeah, re- really interesting. Now, we mentioned in the intro, Rebecca, that there seems to be a, a bit of a lag, really, between viewing behaviour around uh, the environment and nature and the appetite for brands to talk to those, if you could call them ESG-friendly audiences, you could say. Now, you're seeing that, I think, both here and globally, or, or what are you seeing in and around that? There is, there's the, the viewer, the consumer, the public is, is, is interested, but there's, not a, there's a bit of an absence, a bit of a gap there from, from, the, from the advertisers. Yeah, I can only talk to Australia on this particular uh, point, and I actually think we may be behind the rest of the world on this particular issue. You know, you're absolutely spot on. Um, Climate change and pollution are hot-button topics right now, and audiences are looking for content that tackles some of those issues. And brands like Discovery, like BBC, have kind of long and proud history of creating television content about conservation, about wildlife preservation. It's something that's in our DNA. And as a company, it's also something we, we live and breathe. So in Australia, we've partnered with Seabin to help clean up our waterways and reduce plastic. And not only do we literally take some plastic out of the ocean, but we also raise awareness of ocean conservation via television campaigns featuring our Aussie gold hunter talent and Seabin. Now, there's a wonderful opportunity for brands that have CSR ambitions to work with us on these kind of initiatives. We have an audience that is interested in these kind of issues and we have a great safe brand that is known for conservation. So we are very excited and interested in working with brands on how we can bring their brands into that space. And there's kind of no end to what we could possibly do. We could do things like cleaning up the oceans together, or we could create branded content around that that showcases some of these issues and says what those brands are doing in this space. So I think there's lots of opportunity, but I'm not seeing us capturing it yet in Australia. And to your point, um, you know, you know, if you've got environments like content environments, like you're talking, the audience is, you could almost, you could, you could expect the audience to be more empathetic and uh, receptive to whatever's going on in that, in that area. So it makes sense. And the audiences are, are growing in those genres or what is happening there, Rebecca? Yeah, audiences are definitely growing in this space, in this conservation space. And as you said, they are highly engaged. If someone is going to sit down and watch an hour-long documentary on conservation, then they must be interested in that space. And so I can imagine there would be brands that would be interested in being aligned with that audience. Oh, I think you're dead right on that one. We've done like, you know, just even in terms of MI3, the interest in conversation with brands around environmental social governance is huge. So you might be onto something. Tim, BBC, you're seeing sort of similar challenges there around, at least around this sort of area that Rebecca's talking about, environment and so forth. What was happening in your in your world? Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me on as well. Um, yeah, I think Rebecca talked very well to it there and su- summed a lot of it up. I mean, I think the challenge for brands like the BBC and BBC Earth in particular that has got such a high awareness as a, a brand of sort of integrity and trust. Our challenge is to what extent are the campaigns around sustainability that brands are running 
are genuine, mm. you know, have genuine intent, pull out what's good there. Because I think all companies, um, very few are going to be look, going to be able to look at themselves and say, there are no areas of our business that have some level of concern around sustainability. But it's about intent now and about companies really trying to grasp the nettle and make a difference. So, you know, we want to partner with those sort of brands, those sort of companies. Are you having those conversations, Tim, or is it still like, is there a lag here or is it starting to kick in? No, we're having good conversations. Dan will be able to speak to that a bit. But yeah, totally. I think companies get it. I think the the era of just, you know, plastering a, um, a, a page on the back of your website that deals with sustainability and your intent there and expecting that to be enough are over. I think it's, it's now got to come through in consumer-facing activity and, and brands that you partner with. And certainly, you know, we're very keen to work with, with like-minded brands. I know Discovery are as well. And, you know, but, it, but there has to be kind of genuine intent there, really. To, to Rebecca's point, though, at Discovery, there is you, you're also seeing uh, enormous appetite in the content around this sort of stuff, right? I think the, the, the numbers are crazy for BBC Earth. What, what, can you just talk to us a little bit what those numbers are? The landmark shows that we do. So things like Blue Planet, Planet Earth, Perfect Planet was the highest rating factual title in the UK in recent years. And you know, before that, Seven Worlds, One Planet, another BBC Earth production um, was the highest rate show before that. So um, 180 million views on Tencent in China for Seven Worlds, One Planet. You know, these are huge, huge, huge numbers. And we're certainly a fast growing brand. I mean, BBC Earth is the largest and fastest growing BBC run property. Um, we've got a billion views on the website, 28 million fans. Platforms like Instagram and BBC Earth are partnering now and growing very quickly. Our following there, 51% up year on year. So, you know, it's it's pulling audiences from all sorts of areas. And I think that speaks to a kind of ubiquitous interest, engagement, awareness of the, the topic of sustainability, climate change. You know, it's a big one. And, you know, you won't, you won't go a day without hearing some sort of commentary or report on the on the subject. So mm. um, it's certainly an area that the content creators at the heart of BBC Earth are leaning into, mm. um, you know, led by people like Sir David Attenborough. But all, all of the presenters are genuine experts and right. and have a keen interest. So reflecting a general interest in the topic. Dan, I think uh, Tim sort of dropped you in it and said that you would have a good fix on what sort of conversations are going on with brands on this around BBC and Discovery, I guess. How would you sort of define or describe uh, where the brand awareness, the advertiser awareness is for some of this, this, this content, which is clearly pointing to broader public interest and concern? I think the, the awareness for it's definitely increased exponentially over the last 12 months, but it's definitely not where it needs to be or where it should be. The key watch out for us, and I think Tim touched on this just then, is that audiences are savvier and it's not enough for there to be a tag at the end of a, a promo spot or, you know, a, a credit at the end of on a website. There's got to be a common interest and there's got to be shared goals. So we need to ensure as representatives of both of those brands, that there is suitability from the clients that we talk to in market that would resonate with the brand and also with the audiences that we talk to. Authenticity is really key in this, right? Tim, back to you on, um, we'll get 
beyond um, the environment and the end of the earth as we know it. You say there's also audience fatigue uh, around sort of navigating content. What, what do you mean by that? What's happening there? Yeah, so I think, it, you know, the the trend of um, mass availability on all sorts of different platforms predates COVID, right? But I think COVID definitely um, sped up the uh, desire from audiences to dive onto all these different options. And and therein lies what, I don't know, people are calling lots of different things, but um, option paralysis, people being overwhelmed by choice, you know, and, and, and I think therein lies an opportunity for brands like the BBC, like Discovery, like Foxtel to really stand for something that, if, you know, the role of trusted, clear proposition brands just gives people a landing page to 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 kind of trust and know that this is what this is what we want this is what we like we we're familiar with the brand and we can trust um the curators as well actually um curation is definitely back i'm, I'm pleased to say yeah, isn't that ironic isn't it <laughs> um and you know you, you 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 can see um examples of it even on the on the kind of Global streamers, right. you know, curation is definitely. Well, they're starting to mimic. They're starting to mimic an old linear feed in some ways, aren't they? Yep, exactly that. So, um, yeah, you know, we, we benefit from having a real strong kind of clear brand proposition across across our portfolio. Even you know, UK TV, um, Great British Entertainment, BBC First, Premium British Drama, BBC Earth. You know, trusted, factual. So you know, yes, I think people are relying on brands um to 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 give them what they want rebecca can can i get your thoughts on that we talk about fatigue it's discovery fatigue it's content discovery fatigue a little bit isn't it um but not fatigue around discovery the media company of course but it's that under trying to find content have you got some thoughts on that yeah absolutely i i agree with what tim is saying and you think about just the the different platforms we have available to us now to find content to watch we have you know your television services like foxtel and our free to airs we have these subscription on-demand services like binge and netflix we have these advertiser funded on-demand services like youtube and so on there's so many different places you can find content now so naturally discoverability is going to be an issue there and you ask seeing it with people you know someone sitting on the couch and scrolling through netflix for 20 to 30 minutes and then coming out with nothing at the end because they couldn't find anything or they couldn't agree on anything that they wanted to watch and so that is where brands and branded destinations can really help an audience more than ever and it's something we've known in television for a long time but it's coming full circle you know if you love true crime content if you go to investigation discovery you're most likely to find something you want to watch there you know if you love autos you love cars, you want everything cars, then Turbo is where you go. So by creating these branded genre-specific destinations that Discovery and BBC and Foxtel do so well, it helps people navigate finding something to watch. And it is an advantage that genre-specific brands like ours have over a more of a generalist brand. Do you have data showing, you know, either, I mean, maybe Dan has this as well, is there is there sort of some lingering around, just, you know, looking at content uh, catalogues before people choose? Is there any signals that we can see that 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 it's that what you guys are talking about on the, on the platform on a branded platform is is, is having uh, is, is helping discovery. I can touch on that, Paul. We we've okay. done a fair bit of work in the background on what the Foxtel carousel looks like. 
so that mm. the discoverability is actually easier. And if you've navigated through the carousel, you'll see that if you click on a show, it will then show you the other shows that you may also like. If you then click on an actor, it will show you other formats or shows that that actor is in. Because right. to Rebecca's point and to Tim's point, that discoverability, people are overwhelmed with choice. And I think what's paramount is simplicity. And we need to make it easier for our audiences to navigate and we need to be able to aggregate. And that's something that we've been doing a fair bit at the Foxtel mm. Group. We integrated Netflix into our interface nearly two years ago now. We just announced Amazon recently. And aggregation is key for us because I, I don't believe that there's content fatigue, that people are indulgent in content. People are wanting to consume more, but they don't know what to consume. So we need to assist them in, in how that journey progresses to finding what it is that they want to watch. And aggregation and simplification is paramount to that. Simple shortcuts really is what you're talking about, isn't it? You made that sound so simple. <sighs> That's because I'm a simple man. Trust me, I am. So listen, we're going to wind this up. We've had a, it's, a, it's a good time. There's lots of stuff we could cover. Um, I just want to get from all of you really, uh, what are two or three key watchouts for brands, marketers and agencies that really over the next 12 months in around content, con- content genres, content consumption? Rebecca, first, give us your sense of, uh, of some, some, some key points that the market needs to be sort of be looking out for. First of all, I would link back to what we said earlier about authenticity. So we're looking for authentic content and people are looking for authentic experiences as they've been stuck in lockdown and the pandemic and they're looking for something real. They're looking for something tangible. So a definite kind of content trend that I see coming up will be about authenticity and it's important for brands, I think, to get on board with that as well. Tim, what are your thoughts on sort of, sort of key watchouts next next year for the next year? I think it's going to be interesting to see how co-viewing develops. Mm. I think, you know, as, you know, traditionally that was all about, you know, either couples or um, parents and kids. I think it's now about older sets of people. And by that, I mean adults living at home with parents right. uh, being introduced perhaps to each other's passions. Um, actually, both ways, goes both ways. So you might get um, some traditional kind of older viewers who like something like Death in Paradise or Midsummer Murders, introducing that to younger viewers. And, and um, we're hearing that all the time about, you know, kids are watching Death in Paradise with their parents, you know, but it's going to be about, um, you know, much love. And it goes back to what we said at the beginning, I think, about rediscovery and people introducing their passions, their favourite stuff to other people. So in midsummer, in the case of Midsummer Murders, the kids aren't rolling their eyes at the mum and dad? <laughs> it's a great show. It is a great show. I watch it, by the way. Yeah, Sopranos is back. <laughs> yes, Sopranos is back. Good one. Um, so co-viewing, and, and is there any data on that? Are you seeing any, any interesting kind of um, stats that bear that out? At all, Tim? I think it would be fair to say that the age for, for some of our core shows is, is dropping slightly, which would indicate a, a, you know, a broader span, less at the top end, slightly more coming in at the bottom. Yeah. And escapism, I think, is, is very important going forward as well. It's a complicated world. There's, there's a lot of sort of negativity in the news. It's, it's very complicated and, um, concerning so people are enjoying escapism so the other thing i think is quite interesting and here to stay is 
big budget productions. We're quite complacent now, I think, to the size of production budgets and the cast that are appearing on the television screen, as opposed to in big movies, you know, Kate Winslet, you know, we've got Colin Farrell coming up in um, in the North Water, Oscar winning director Steve McQueen directing Small Acts. You know, these are pieces of art now and they're just expected as television shows. So I think it spans across all genres as well, actually. Factual has come on so far in terms of production techniques, the expertise in the field, the... the, the um, the depth of knowledge and understanding, the time taken to make it. You know, I, I think that people can expect and uh, and will see really significant pieces of work just as normal bits of television. And so finally to, to you, Dan, your thoughts on watch outs for, for brands, marketers and agencies from the sort of the aggregator of all aggregators, Foxtel Media. What do you, what do you think uh, are the key things the market needs to be across? What's really important over the course of the next 12 months is we can't assume that life will go back to normal anytime soon. You know, this time last year, we were coming out of lockdown and we assumed that it was pretty much done. What's been a consistent um, theme across the last 12 months, and I believe it will be going into the next 12 months, is that content has taken on a different meaning. It's It's been the facilitator of conversations, you know, whether right. it's been escapism or whether it's been you know, replacing that water cooler uh, or barbecue chat. So brands need to be a part of that conversation. Brands need to be across different platforms and they need to be immersed into the conversation wherever possible. We're not seeing any uh, content fatigue. So what's, what's another important watch out for brands and for marketers and agencies alike is that, again, Brands cannot afford to be in one show or one channel. They need to be involved in channels that are having authentic conversations or across platforms that are premium safe destinations. I mean, you know, our, our subscription figures just released recently show that we've got almost 4 million subscribers across the Foxtel group. Now, that's proof that we've got a strong audience portfolio, we deliver quality content, and it's a bloody good place to be to deliver that brand message to audiences that are highly engaged. Couldn't have said it better myself. It's really interesting. And I think, um, you know, that oversight around the sort of content we're talking about, particularly around the environmental stuff with both BBC and Discovery as case points, it surprised me sometime how it's, it's, a, it's a no-brainer that, you, you know, the content that those channels, those companies are producing is perfect for, uh, for what we're talking about. So I look forward to seeing sort of what happens out of that one. Thank you uh, to all of you for a really uh, interesting conversation around content. I've learned a couple of things and about what my behaviour is going to do next year, so I will, I'll check check in on that. So, Dan, Rebecca, Tim, thanks for joining. Stay safe, and uh, we will loop around later in the year and see what happens. Thanks so thanks, much, Paul. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.